Good evening. I love it when the Mansouris do dedications. They, it comes with a big party. Um, welcome, welcome everyone. Everyone go make a bracha. And then you can sleep. And then the hour will go by very quickly. Um, thank you for coming. Uh, tonight, a great, 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 great parsha this week. Before we begin to the parsha, I'd like to um, invite everyone to help us out. Baruch Hashem, tomorrow we're running a really, really, really special campaign for our center. Uh, this is our uh, most essential um, fundraiser for the year. We only do one annual fundraiser. It's running tomorrow as a crowdfunding campaign beginning at 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. And I need everyone's help. I need everyone's help in a big way. Uh, mainly, mainly, mainly uh, to spread the word uh, to as many people as you can. To help me WhatsApp this and send this out to people. Because as I know and I felt and I've seen in the past, there is so much goodwill out there. So much good kindness and, and, and goodwill especially. And, and at least as much as we are concerned over here at Mayon. Uh, such kindness and such graciousness of so many people and so much gratitude for all the good that Mayan is providing, but there's so much coming back, and I'm really humbled by that. And um, it's just a matter that people don't know, and it was a very last-minute kind of thing that we put together. So I really need everyone's help in, in, in um, spreading the word. Starting tomorrow, 3 o'clock, going through Wednesday, 3 o'clock, it's a campaign where we get all or nothing. So we really, really, every, every little bit makes... A huge, huge, huge difference. So I'd like to ask everyone to please help me. Uh, those who want to come volunteer tomorrow night uh, to help with phone calls, so we'll have an operations room going on over here, and I would greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate that. Okay, uh, we have a couple of great dedications today. The Shear this week was dedicated by... Rabbi Yochanan and Shoshana Mansuri and his Rabbi Mansuri's sister, Louise and her and Herzl uh, Manish. Uh, this is in honor of uh, Rabbi Mansuri's father, Yosef ben Rabbi, whose yard site is on the second of Adar, which is tonight. 
May his neshama have the greatest, greatest, greatest aliyah to the greatest of heights. May channel lots and lots of brachas to the entire Mansurian family and everything that they need and for the extended family and all the children. Much, much blessings and everything in the spiritual and in the material. Um, in Hashem May Hashem fulfill all the requests of the hearts and everything. We should have a lot of simcha this year. Um, another dedication this week was by Terry Levin. This is in honor of her few yard sites in the family. Her grandfather's yard site, his name is Yisrael ben Shmuel Yecheskel HaLevi. Big alias neshama for him. And the grandmother's yard site, Fega Bas Shmuel, which I think is going to be at the end of the month, the 27th of Adar. And an aunt's yard site, Lin Bas Avra. And that is on the 3rd of Adar. That's tomorrow. May they all have a very great aliyah to the greatest of heights. May they channel lots of brachas to you, Terry, and everything that you need in your life. Much mazal and bracha and good things. Good, 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 great, fabulous things coming your way. Be'ezra Sashem. Another dedication this week was by Chayamushka Lizak. And this is an honor of. Um, a grandfather who had just passed away last week may this be to the schus of his neshama on Lamed Shvat so that was just yesterday Eliezer Ber Ben Irwin this should be a big schus for his soul all the learning and inspiration that comes out of this class and this is also to a grandmother who had they have yard site on Gimel Adar, which is tomorrow night. Yehudis Bas Kasriel HaKohen. May her neshama have the greatest aliyah. Higher and higher and higher and then higher. Even higher. And many, chana, many, many brachas to the Lizak family and everything. Much, much mazal and bracha and happiness. And you shouldn't know of any more, any more negative news and only good things. Wonderful, wonderful good things. Uh, the Sheer and CD this week, sponsored by Mr. Zalman and Esther Roth. And this is in honor of Mrs. Roth's father's yard site coming up in the 5th of Adar. Mishulam Zalman ben Wolf. May his neshama have a great aliyah to the greatest of heights. A tremendous gushing blessing to the Roth family and all that they need and all that they want. Mazel and bracha. Shaduchim. And only, only good, 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 good things. Parnasa brachava. Wonderful things. Uh, I just came from a wedding. It's why I'm a little to tumult and a little, a little. Uh, usually, I try to avoid weddings on Monday nights as much as it's great. But this is a dear friend, Dr. Chaim Cohen. Doc, Dr. Chaim and Batya Cohen married off their daughter. So I was at this wedding, and uh, I, unexpected, I went to say Mazel Tov to, to Dr. Chaim, and I told him I'm running out to the shir. He said, "Don't forget, I'm going to sponsor the CD." Okay, so Dr. Chaim, Cohen, and Batya are sponsoring the CD this week in honor of the children's wedding tonight. Rafal Tzvi to Menuchem Miriam. May Hashem bless the couple to have a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful life together. Abinyan Adeyad. A wonderful, wonderful, happy marriage with much, much bracha and parnasa rachava and happy, healthy children and many, many generations to come. It should be a, a, a beautiful home where the Shekhinah can rest. That's the 
concept of this week's parsha. Mazel tov and mazel tov and mazel tov. Thanks to all those who dedicated. Tonight, Baruch Hashem, it's a shorter shir. We have a lot of dedications and we have a short shir, so it all works together. Um, let's see what's going to happen. Um, this week is Parsha's Teruma. And the Torah introduces a whole new idea. We begin constructing a Mishkan, uh, a home for God. It's news. We haven't had anything resembling that earlier. This is where the Torah tells us, make for me a home. God says, I want to live amongst you. What kind of love, what kind of unbelievable thing this is that God Almighty, the infinite being, the one that is, transcends transcendence, the one that beyond, 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 tells us such a shocking thing that He wants to move in with us and live with us. It's, it's crazy. The love that's in this week's parasha is nothing that can compare to it. The, the, the relationship of Israel to God reaches its zenith and its peak in Parshas Terumah. When Hashem tells Moshe, make for me your home so I can live with you. The envy of nations, the envy of angels, the, angel, the en- envy of the heavens of heavens, of the celestial beings, of, the high, of the, even the attributes, they too are not a host for God's essence. A home is where one lives. They live there in their entire being. This is crazy. And yet this is the commandment, Pasha's true. Now this commandment of having a home for God continues for a few parshiot. A few Torah portions are going to continue discussing this theme. It's from here to the conclusion of Sefer Shemos and into the next book of the Torah, Sefer Vayikra. So the second half of the book of Exodus is devoted to this monumental task of building a Mishkan. What we're going to do today is I'd like to look at the progression of this, of this achievement, of this task and this achievement, why the Torah breaks it up in so many different parshios. We have five parshios left. Teruma, Tetzave, Kisisa, Vayakel, Pekude. And the question is, what is the novelty? What is the news in every parsha? What is added on to the idea of God living with us in this world? This unification of God and Israel this unification of Hashem and the world through the Jewish people, with the world, what is the deeper, the deeper element? What is the, why is it divided into five parshios? Obviously, each one expresses, reveals another idea. So tonight's class is not going to be devoted only to Parshas Truma. It's going to be devoted to the entire second half of Sefer Shemos, explaining what the ideas are and the themes of this parsha. So, um, first we begin with this week's parsha, Parshas Teruma. And over here, again, we have probably, in a sense we might say, it's hard to pick. If you had to pick one Pasuk in the Torah and say, this is like the most important verse in the entire Torah. Obviously you'll get different opinions. Obviously some people would say, hero Israel, God is one. That's the main theme of the Jewish people. Or we can say, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am God, your God. Or one can say, Vahafta love your fellow like, your, like you love yourself. So we have to say, without any shadow of a doubt, that the Pasuk that we have this week in the Parsha goes into the top five. Okay? To argue to say this is the highest, I don't know. But we would definitely have to say, from all the Psukim in the Torah, ranking from 
the, the most essential pasuk. V'asuli migdash, make from me a sanctuary. V'shachanti besocham, and I will dwell. Which, as we discussed so many times, if we look carefully at the words, it doesn't say v'shachanti betocho. I will dwell in it. It says v'shachanti, I will dwell besocham, amongst them. Betoich kol echad v'yechad, as the sages tell us. It means that Hashem says, make me a dwelling place because I want to live in your heart. Now this is all, all of what life is all about. This is what creation is all about. God desired to have a dwelling place below. Hashem wanted to move in, into our hearts, into each and every one of us, into each and every one of our hearts. Hashem wants to live in our lives. And then our lives are not our lives. It's not just my life, your life. It becomes ours. You live in a shared, we spoke last week, in a shared space with God. To the point where you and God become one, that there isn't a detail in your life, there isn't a second, a moment in time, there isn't an, an, anything within your entire life that's just plain, mundane, finite, temporary. Every aspect of our lives becomes infinite, becomes eternal, because it's a moment in which you're engaging God. It's a moment in which Hashem and you are unifying in absolute unity. Now we understand that this mitzvah, even though it was given to the Jewish people in the desert three and a half thousand years ago, is an ongoing commandment. Because the mitzvah to build the Mishkan continues throughout history. We built a tabernacle in the, in the desert. We continued with building a Mishkan when we went into the land of Israel. It was a more stable structure. It wasn't like a mobile, mobile home. It was more of a stable structure. And then we moved into the next stage, which was when we built an actual home, not just a tent, which was the first temple. And then it continued in the building of the second temple. But the ultimate construction and the ultimate building, which is going to house the divine, which is going to be a place where Hashem is going to live on for all eternity, is the holy temple that we are about to witness descent in Jerusalem and Yerushalayim in front of our eyes. And we have to realize and realize and realize, and I'm saying this again and again and again and again and again, because I myself am not believing it. And that's why I keep on repeating it. There's nothing to do. Everybody, all good Jews over here, everybody already has, already, it clicked. But by me, it hasn't clicked yet. That we're talking about something that could and should happen today. Any moment. There is no doubt, there is no doubt, that in the very, 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 very near future, we will see unbelievable things. Unbelievable things. We will see. We're already in the midst of the redemption. We're in the midst of the redemption. Okay, I'm going to have to say this. I don't know why I'm saying it, but I'm going to say it. Okay? Just a little, a little, it's a crazy thought. Because I like to read into everything that's happening around to see what's going on. I'm seeing clearly, and I wasn't planning to say this tonight, but I'm seeing the klipa breaking all over. It's on a run. It's being sebrachen, it's being, it's breaking. There is a lot of indications to this, but something really spectacular happened last night. I always check the news just to see what's going on. And the top of the news today was all busy with the Oscars. Afterwards, we live in, we live in, 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 in uh, over here in, in Hollywood. So we can't help uh, being informed by the news. So uh, what I heard, I mean, I haven't followed and I don't watch movies, um, that, that, that at, the, at the Oscars, 
last night, this is the first time in 89 years where they had a terrible blunder in which they announced best picture for one, for one movie and then it ended up having to be given to someone else. Now I, again, this is just my type, the way I look at things, there's nothing that just happens. Especially when you have the cameras of the entire world watching something, nothing just happens. The fact that Hollywood is shaking and can't get their act together is showing that something is crumbling. Something is crumbling. Now I know we live in, Hol- in Hollywood, many people have a very, very high regard. We have to realize that a lot that comes out from this institution is unholy and not godly and feeds a lot of impurity in the world, creates trends of thinking, ideas that are not consistent with our third base amigdash that's going to be in Yerushalayim. That's the bottom line. It's not, doesn't fit. And when one rises, the other one falls. At a moment of height, at a moment of glamour and glitz, when all the cameras are shining and everybody is busy with how this one looks and how that one looks, and everybody is looking at all of this, and what happens at that moment? There is a blunder and a mistake. But what kind of mistake? So here's an interesting idea. I'm listening to the news, and I have not... Again, I don't, I literally, just honestly, I don't know anything about these movies, both of them. But I did, all I know was the names. Later today, I did find out a little bit more about the content. I, not much, because someone, I was telling somebody, said, oh, the one that was announced as the winner was La La Land. The one that was the initial announcement. Then they changed it. And they said it's Moonlight. Okay. So the interesting idea, and I'm reading into all this according to Hasidus. La La Land is Klippa. La La Land is, this, is, is a world, a fake world. It's a fake, empty world of Klippa. That's La La Land. Moonlight is referring to the Jewish people who are compared to the moon. Who when it says in the end of days, the light of the moon will shine like the light of the sun. So here the Klippa gets up and it's confused. Because it doesn't want to acknowledge that moonlight is beginning. I know, I heard later that moonlight, the film, is not necessarily uh, presenting ideas that are necessarily uh, holiest. That's not the point. I'm just looking at the names. Everything is in the name. There are much deeper things involved in this. So this really hit me. This is another indication to what we have been talking about. And this is not silliness. This is big, 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 big news things that are happening in front of our eyes, that are shaking, the entire country has been thrown into turmoil, and things are moving in a complete different direction, and people are, 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 don't know what to make out of it. God is doing His thing in a very, very, very big way. Good, let's go back to what we were saying. So therefore, the Beis Amikdash, the third temple, is going to be built momentarily in Yerushalayim. It's Miyamish happening. We enter the month of Ador. Ador is already the month of miracles. It's the month of redemption. It's interesting. It happened on Rosh Chodesh, when the moon is a new moon. Rosh Chodesh Ador, which Ador is the, is the month that leads us from redemption to redemption. The rise of Queen Esther. The rise of the Jewish people. Esther means moon. Esther, her name, this is in Aramaic, is Estahara. Estahara is moon. 
We entered, that just occurred to me right now as we're standing over here. That is happening. We have to wake up, we have to realize, the, and we have to prepare ourselves. So the mitzvah of building a Beis HaMikdash, now the third Beis HaMikdash, to come on each and every one of us, to prepare ourselves for, this, for the great Beis HaMikdash. In any case, going back. So the novel, the novel idea that we human beings, with all of our faults, all of our frailty, and all of our weaknesses, and our being us, being planted in the most distant, removed, disconnected state in the universe. We are at the lowest, lowest point of existence. Human beings of flesh, of blood, plagued by a powerful, evil inclination. And yet, God invites Himself, because we would have never thought of it. Had He not told us that we should do this, who would have in their right mind even dreamt that you can invite God to come live with you? I mean, are you crazy? It would be the biggest chutzpah. It would have been the biggest, uh, you think I'm going to come live? <laughs> Me, I'm going to live. And yet God says, I want to live with you. So what happens in Parshas Truma? Truma is when that amazing, amazing empowerment from above God empowers us in Parshas Truma to bring him down into this world. Since this is the purpose of all of creation, since this is the reason why God created the world in the first place, is that he should reveal himself and come down into the lowest of the low, which is our world. That's why it also, it's interesting how Parshas Truma is the first Parsha after the giving of the Torah. Even though there is Parsha's Mishpatim, but Parsha's Mishpatim, and you see in the end of Parsha's Mishpatim, it's still narrating the story of the giving of the Torah. And the end of last week's Torah portion is when you say the Jews said, Nasev and Nishma, we will do and we will hear. So Yisro Mishpatim is really one continuation of Matan Torah, of giving of the Torah. The first thing that happens after the giving of the Torah is make for me a home. And the reason for that is because what is the whole, what was the whole accomplishment of the giving of the Torah? The real true accomplishment of the giving of the Torah was, is the breakthrough. The real true accomplishment of the giving of the Torah is that we are able to break a barrier. We were able to break an unpenetrable barrier that God had created. When Hashem made the world, Hashem created a a, a, a barrier, a powerful barrier that no one can cross. And that is the, the, the partition that separates between the spiritual and the material, between the holy and the unholy. That holiness only belongs in heaven. We said it today in Hallel and yesterday in Hallel. Hashamayim, Shamayim, Lashem. Heaven is heaven to God. In, if you go up to heaven, you will hear. Angels singing. Over there, God is getting His due respect. Over there, people are beings, not people, but beings are, 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 are fanatic, crazy about, about God. That's happening in heaven. Down here on earth, everybody ignores God. God is very unpopular. And it's impossible for physicality to, 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 to have holiness and kedusha. And yet, Pasha's Truma, so what happened by the giving of the Torah? By the giving of the Torah, God broke through this barrier. 
As it says, the Medrash tells us, gives an example of a king who made a decree that the people of this country may not come to this country. He built a wall. And he said, no one is allowed to go from here to here. That was the king's decree. And then the king said, and but at a certain point later he said, and I am going to be the first one to cross the, the border. The king said, now we have permission to go across the border. And the king himself crossed the border. So, so too the Medrash says, when God created the world, the heavens were heavens to God. The earth was a disconnected place. And then Hashem said, I am now going to unify I am coming down. God came down by the giving of the Torah. He made the breakthrough. Vayered Hashem al-Har Sinai. The divine was revealed on a physical mountain. We were able to perceive Him with our physical eyes, with our physical senses. That's the first time in history that ever happened. And that empowered us. The giving of the Torah empowered us to lift the earth and to elevate it to heaven. To make physicality be spiritual, holy, and godly. So that is, and that explains. So immediately after we were given the empowerment, the breakthrough happened in Parshas Yisro, now we are giving the instructions of actually how to do that. So it begins, the Torah Parsha begins this week. We are commanded. The first thing is, we met, Moshe Rabbeinu makes an appeal and all the Jewish people come running with their gold and silver. They not come running, that's going to happen later. But they're commanded to bring their 13 different types or 15 materials which were going to be used in the construction of the Mishkan. And the materials that were used are all physical and they are all either from the inanimate or from the vegetable or from the animal. So that we elevate every aspect of the physical world. And within this temple, who is going to worship? A human. So all four elements of creation. Domain, Tzameach, Medaber. All of them are enter into a unification and into a bond with God. Unbelievable. So the empowerment is in Parshas Teruma. Then comes Parshas Tetzaveh. And Parshas Tetzaveh, God continues instructing us on the temple on building a temple, building a mishkan. Over here there are, de- are, are, are certain parts that are mentioned that weren't mentioned earlier. Um, first of all, one of the vessels which weren't mentioned earlier was the uh, mizbeach, the, the, uh, the altar that was used for the spices that were burnt every day in the Beis Amigdosh, Mizbach HaKtores. But in Parshas Tetzavah, primarily we have the commandment of the garments of the Kohen, which is not mentioned in Truma. Truma is mainly the construction of the Beis Amigdash itself, of the Mishkan itself. The garments and preparing of the oil and, um, and making the Mizbeach, the Ketores. Uh, that's the main subject of Parshas Tetzal. Now let's try to see what is really added to this idea of the union of us with God that happens in Tetzal over Parshas Teruma. So it's interesting, let's take a look at a striking difference between Parshas Tetzaveh and Teruma. In Parshas Teruma, we open up with, by Daber Hashem el Moshe Lemor, God says to Moshe, saying, Daber el Bnei Yisrael, speak to the children of Israel, the Yikhuli Teruma, they should take for me a portion. Me'ez Kalish, from every man, she had libo, that his heart wants to donate, Tikhu es Terumasi, you should take my Teruma. So in this week's Parsha, so again, the emphasis is, it, God is speaking to Moshe, and he says to the Jewish people, and he command them that everybody should donate. Okay? This was the first fundraiser. Parashas here. 
where, where, where Moshe Rabbeinu called for the Jewish people that they should bring. Fine. Parshas Tetzaveh, same idea. God is commanding Moshe to continue the work of building a Mishka. But the opening words of the parsha in which that commandment is given over is very strikingly different. Instead of the regular beginning of every parsha. Vayadaber Hashem and God spoke, El Moshe, Lamor, that Hashem spoke to Moshe, which it could have said, and it should have, yeah, it could have began like that. Hold on, I'm opening it up here. It could have said, Daber El Bnei Yisrael, speak to the Jewish people, Ve'yikhu they should take to you Shemen Zayezach, pure olive oil. Okay? It's commanding the Jews to bring Shemen Zayez. It should have had the regular introduction. What's the introduction usually for a mitzvah? Hashem says to Moshe, speak to the Jewish people and tell them. The opening words in Tetzaveh are very different. It doesn't say any vayadaber Hashem that God spoke. It begins with the commandment. And the Torah says, Va'ata and you, Tetzaveh, you should command the Jewish people. That's B'nai Yisrael. Very, very different. I mean, obviously, the entire Torah is a continuation of a narration. If the entire Torah is a continuation of a narration, any parsha in the Torah could have begun with those words. Va'ata, and you tell them this, and you tell them that. Yet we don't find any parsha in the Torah beginning like that. Only parsha's tetzaveh. Va'ata tetzaveh, and you should command. Something over here calls for an explanation. Why dafka at this moment is Moshe telling, is God telling Moshe, and you should command. So we know, and we've discussed this many times, that um, Moshe, that there, there is the only Torah portion in which Moshe Rabbeinu's name is not mentioned in the entire Torah is Parsha's Tetzavah. Tetzavah is the one Parsha that doesn't have Moshe's name. It says the reason is because Moshe Rabbeinu passes away at this time of the year that we read Tetzaveh. In Parsha Tetzaveh, it doesn't say that Moshe is passing away. That only says in the end of the Torah, like later, the Parsha's Vezos Abracha, we're talking about Moshe's passing. Or the Parsha's before that. But the time of the year that we read Parsha's Tetzaveh always comes out in the month of Adar, Purim time. And that's a time when we also have Moshe's Yortzite, which is Zion Adar, when Moshe passed away. So kind of a commemoration or a indication that Moshe is absent, we're, we're missing Moshe, his name doesn't appear in the parsh. Yet, the interesting thing is that even though as Moshe Rabbeinu's name doesn't appear in Parsha's Tetzave, the very first word is all about Moshe. Va'ata Tetzave, and you should command. Who's the you? The you is Moshe. So from a perspective of Hasidis, which the teachings of Hasidism always discovers the positive, the deeper light, instead of focusing on the no. Hasidus always shows you that every no that happens in your life, every obstacle, every barrier, every fall, every concealment, find the yeah. In the no is buried such a powerful yeah. Look for the yeah, there's a much deeper yeah in that no. So when you find Moshe is not here, Hasidus says, Open your eyes and you're going to see a ginormous Moshe. You're going to see a much bigger Moshe than when Moshe is absent, than, than in a regular parsha. Why? What's the idea? Va'ata means you. 
The you of Moshe is much higher and far more powerful than the name Moshe. The name of a person is always a projection of who you are. Whenever you relate to people, you always are projecting. You're not who you are. You present yourself. You want, you want people to have a certain image of you. And that's how you present yourself. For most people, they try to project a better image than who they really, really are, right? But when you're dealing with, but the truth in terms of our neshama, our soul is really beautiful. Our soul is a piece of God from above. We couldn't handle our light from the essence of our soul. So therefore, our neshama has to reveal itself to us through its name. We only know the name of our neshama. It actually says an interesting thing, that when parents name a child, that name, when they call the name of the child, the calling of the name by the parents, by the bris milah, or by a girl when they're naming by the Torah, and that's why we make such a big deal about the naming, is actually calling forth the energy of the neshama to becoming clothed in the body. So you're calling forth, and the channels of the soul entering the body are through the letters of the name. Your name is very, very, very important to who you are, but to who? To the energies of your soul that are interacting with your body, but not to the essence of your soul. The essence of the soul remains above the experience of the body. Now when we're talking about someone like Moshe Rabbeinu, and so there's, there's two things about Moshe. There is Moshe's perceivable light, and Moshe's perceivable light is unbelievable. His name is so, itself tells us that we really don't even have a clue what his name is. Because Moshe means, why did his stepmom, Basia, call him Moshe? Because she took him out of the water. She took him out of the water. And what does that mean? Water represents a hidden place. Because we know, you walk outside on the street, there's a lot of life, there are trees, there are birds, there are insects, there are animals, there are people, cars, trees, buildings. It's a whole big, big, big world. That's when you're looking at dry land. Go down, drive down a couple of miles to Venice Beach, go look at the pier, look out over the ocean at night. Or during the day, look out on the ocean, what do you see? Just one big, huge body of water. In the, inside that body of water is swarming with life. There are mountains and valleys and canyons and gorgeous coral reefs, all kinds of birds and fish. Unbelievable what's going on. The life, the myriads of life that's taking place under the ocean is unbelievable. It's in many, many ways far more spectacular than what's going on. But you don't see anything because the ocean is a concealed world. Moshe Rabbeinu's neshama comes from a concealed place. It comes from the infinite light of God that is, that is concealed, that is hidden, that is so high, it's so deep. And Moshe Rabbeinu was the one neshama, it says there were two souls that came from a very, very, very mystical world, above and beyond where all neshamas come from. Moshe and Hanoch. Hanoch was the grandfather of Noach, who lived, God who lived in this world to purify this creation. He had a huge impact on the world, but he didn't live a long life. God took him back up after he did what he needed to do. Chanoch and Moshe, the Kabbalists say, were two neshamas that came from the ocean. They are aquatic beings. They're not dry land beings. And they were put into this world. That is Moshe Rabbeinu's name. 
How about Moshe's essence is even beyond that. Moshe's essence emanates in the essence of God himself. In the deepest, highest way. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, and that's why Moshe Rabbeinu is the utmost channel of God to the world. He's from a place that is completely, completely, completely unknowable. Now, generally in the parshio, in the, all the parshias of the Torah, we perceive our teacher, our beloved teacher Moshe, through his name. Not his essence, his name. Because we can't, his, name, his essence is unknowable. Until we come to the week that Moshe Rabbeinu isn't here anymore, when we don't see a perceived revelation of Moshe, when we're stuck without Moshe's light, what does it force us? It forces us to recognize that Moshe is much bigger than his name, than his revealed presence, than his voice, than his body, than what I can see and hear. There's something. This is godly. Moshe Rabbeinu is an extension of Hashem into this world. He's the communicator. It can't be that a being like that is here one day and then he's gone. It must be that there is a deeper, higher, powerful element to Moshe. And that is Moshe Rabbeinu's Atta, you, beyond your name. And that's the novelty of Parshas Tetzaveh over Parshas Truma. Parshas Truma, we're building a home for God. We are making ourselves godly, the world around us godly. By doing what? How are we doing that? Through our conscious experiences. We are inspired. We are excited. We understand. We have generosity. We have kindness. We are going to take our possessions. We know, we know, we, uh, through our perception, what we saw by Har Sinai, or whatever the Jews had witnessed, and therefore have somewhat of an, an, uh, a grasp or an understanding of the divine, and we want to lift our, our reality to, 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 to accept. We understand we can't do that on our own, because the gap is infinite. But yet, we're, all, we're doing that within that conscious realm of experience. So therefore, it's accomplished through who? Through our teacher, Moshe Rabbeinu, who is our enlightener. He's the one who enlightens us. He's the one who teaches us. He's the one who brings us into godly experience. And he generates which in each and every single person according to their experience. That's why the Pasuk says, Ashe Yedvenu Libo, Kalish! Every person differently. No two people donated in the same way. Different objects, different materials, and with a different enthusiasm. Every person differently. And that was so beautiful about this Mishkan. It came from the community. And there was no two donations that were the like. Because every person was giving who they are and what they are into the Mishkan. It was so special. But it's still your revealed talents, your revealed abilities, and that which you're conscious of. Parshas Tetzavah takes the relationship and the bond to a whole deeper level. To a level of the subconscious, to a level that we don't understand and don't know. It's bonding our very essence to the essence of God through the essence of our leader Moshe. That bond has nothing to do, therefore, by our conscious feelings of where we stand, what we're feeling, what we're knowing. It is, it is, it's, ha- it's so deep. You are connected. 
Whether you're feeling inspired, whether you're not feeling expired, whether you want to do the mitzvah, whether you don't want to do the mitzvah, whether you're lazy, whether you're tired, whether you're full of light, because you have so much, so much, so much knowledge that you learned and you studied, you heard such a good cheer, or you're in darkness, you're confused, you didn't have any time to go learn anything, life is just hitting you from all directions, it's so dark, it's so difficult, you don't even know where you are, and yet, you come to Parshat Tetzaveh and you say, you are connected. The Atta Tetzaveh, you are connected. You're a Jew, and a Jew is connected all the time. Because a Jew can never be severed. There's a place, and that happens in Tetzaveh, that we, okay, you say, a Jewish Nisham has always been connected. Yeah, but that's your Jewish Nisham as it is in heaven. The, the Chiddush, the novelty of Tetzaveh, is that even when you are in a body, you can experience the essential bond the bond of essence, of the essence of your soul to the essence of God through the essence of Moshe in this world. And that creates a certain consistency, a certain continuum that's happening all the time. It doesn't change. It's interesting, therefore, when you look at Pasha's Tetzaveh, you'll find that the first commandment, you'll see it reflected in the first commandment. Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, you command the Jewish people, they should take for me um, oil, Shem and Zayas, Lahalos Ner Tamid, they should bring up a constant lamp. A constant lamp. Then the next Pasuk says, that who's going to light it, who's going to kindle the menorah? Who's going to kindle the menorah? The kindling of the menorah is going to happen, Aaron Ubanav. Aaron the high priest and his sons, the Kohanim, they're the ones who are going to light the menorah. And when are they going to do it? Me'erev Adboker, from evening until morning. So the next Pasuk, it's already giving us the who, the where, and the when. Okay? When? Evening to who? Aaron. Where? In the outer courtyard. Okay, that makes sense because that's instructions. That's the one who's going to do it. The first Pasuk says that what? They should bring to you um, oil to light the menorah constantly. So the here, first of all, it doesn't, it's not describing any particular place. It's also not giving you a particular time when it should be done all the time. And if you really ask the question, you say, why do the people have to bring the oil to Moshe? The people should bring the oil to Aaron because Aaron is the one lighting the menorah. Nothing to do with Moshe. And the answer is, there is two... The menorah represents the Jewish people. We are all one menorah. The reason why we are a menorah, because what's a menorah? A menorah is a candelabra that brings light. We are a big candelabra in this dark world in which we illuminate the world. And we, the Jewish people, are divided into different groups, different types of Jews that we are. People have different affiliations, which type, which group they belong, whether the Hasidic Jews or non-Hasidic or yeshivish Jews or Sephardic Jews or Ashkenazi Jews or modern Orthodox Jews, or this kind of Jews, and that kind of Jews. All these labels really don't make a difference, because ultimately, all the Jews together make one menorah. And we're all hammered out from the same piece of gold. And we're all here to accomplish one thing, to lighten up, the, to bring light to the dark creation, to the darkness of the world, until the world will burn with an everlasting light. But when we're planted in the darkness, 
There is always the threat that we will be swallowed up and crushed by the darkness. That the little spark that's burning at the heart of every Jewish soul might be extinguished. So we, therefore we need to have the tzaddikim. We need to have the righteous people. And they're the ones who are going to fire up our menorah. They're going to keep our menorah burning. And that's why we have a high priest, Aaron Akoin, who's going to light the menorah. Every single type of Jew, every day in the evening. Aaron would light the menorah and he would light the menorah. He would put, he would fire up our souls. He literally, when Aaron lit the menorah, he was adding oil. He was adding inspiration. And he was creating within every Jewish neshama the yearning, the desire to cleave to God and the ability to light up the world with godly light. That's what Aaron was doing for each and every one of us. However, that's one menorah that was being lit. But inside, deep inside, Aaron's menorah is a much deeper menorah. It's the menorah that Moshe Rabbeinu was lighting. It's a whole different menorah. Moshe Rabbeinu is reaching much deeper than the conscious realm where Aaron is reaching. Aaron is firing you up with inspiration. He's the high priest. He's illuminating your soul, firing you up. Moshe is touching you in a place that you don't know. He's touching you at your core so deep, a place where the fire is always burning. Lahal is near tum. It's a big difference. Aaron's menorah is in the evening. From the evening to night, it's inspiration you get from the various different rabbis in your life. You come to a shir, they're all descendants in a sense of Aaron. This rabbi, this teaching, this book, it's all inspiration. All get, and for that there's fluctuations. Time there is light, time there isn't light. But then there is that one tzaddik that is alive in the generation. There is that one tzaddik who is Moshe Rabbeinu. It's a whole different story. He touches every Jew continuously. And no matter where the Jew is, no matter what he is doing, no matter where he is running, even if he wants to run and run and run and cut himself off completely from God, it doesn't work. Because he's connecting the essence of God to the essence of the Jew through the essence of Moshe. That can never be broken. That's lahalois ner tamid. That is in Parshas Tetzaveh that you don't have in Parshas Truma. Truma is, 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 is happening on the external realm of our experiences. We are looking to sanctify, to make our lives holy. Tetzaveh takes it to a much, much deeper, essential core state. And that's through the essence of the tzaddik, through the essence of Moshe. And then we go on to Parshas Tisa, Kisisa. What's the novelty of Parshas Kisisa? Kisisa means to, when you will lift up, Kisisa, when you will lift up, it's Rosh Bnei Yisrael, the, the heads of the Jewish people. So number one, wow. After Teruma and after Tetzaveh, we're being, we're being lifted up even higher. And what's being lifted up? The head. Hold it. You're already a home for Hashem. You're already essentially connected. What can be higher? Oh wow, Parshas Kisisa, it's a whole new level. What is so deep about Kisisa? What is new in Parshas Kisisa? What's the first story the Torah tells us in Parshas Kisisa? Moshe Rabbeinu is... Moshe, God tells Moshe, tell the Jewish people, that everybody should give a half a coin, a machzes hashekel. This is going to be an atonement for the sin of the golden calf. Zayitnu, this is what they should give. Machtis HaShekel. We read it this past Shabbos. with Shabbos Shkalem. We also read it, even though it's going to be, the real reading is going to be in two weeks from now, Parshas Kisisa. So what does it say? Zayitnu, this is what you should give. The Talmud tells us an amazing thing, or the Medrash, the Talmud, the Medrash, maybe it says in both. 
Now Moshe Rabbeinu was a little confused when God was telling him that he should give a coin. Moshe was confused. Until God went and he showed him a fiery coin. It's a little hard to understand. What, what was so hard to understand? Moshe was a rabbi, no? So he didn't know what a... He, and he, he, was, he was the chief fundraiser for the Jewish people. He was the first one to call. So he didn't know what the coin was. Come on. See, Moshe Rabbein was such a tzaddik, he had no relationship. The word, the word tzaddikim, who did dafka, did not know the image of a madbeya. That's the, it's interesting, in, Yid, in Yiddish, or in, when, when we was, would talk about a tzaddik that has nothing to do with this world, there was an expression that would say, erot nishgevist fen atzira fen that he doesn't know the image of what a, what a, what a quarter looks. He just doesn't, that, 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 that doesn't, that doesn't even know what. So, so, so he's living in the world of Atzilus. He's living in a different realm. Okay, but Moshe Rabbeinu was the leader of the Jewish people. He had to know what's going on. What's such a, God is teaching Moshe Rabbeinu the most complicated laws of Hilchah Shabbos. Or the law, I mean, some laws are so complicated. And, 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 and what does he have a problem with? Exactly what the coin looks like. That God has to show him a coin of... Someone told me something very good, something really beautiful. Just now by the wedding. I was by the wedding, so I guess everything is Rosh Kachapratis. So I'll share this with you. Someone came over to me and said, I want to tell you something really, really good. He said, um, you know, it says a few things that Moshe didn't know what they are. One of them was the menorah. Moshe couldn't figure out the menorah. That way you can understand why it was different. And God showed him a menorah. No, it doesn't say that God showed it to him. It says in the end, the Hashem had to... Told him, just take the menorah, throw it into the... Into the, into the thing, into the fire. Then it says, uh, Moshe did not know all the insects until Hashem took and brought him which, which insects, kosher or what are not kosher. Hashem brought all the animals, he showed it to him. And there was one more thing that Moshe, oh, the moon. Moshe didn't know exactly when is, and Hashem had to show him the moon. But by all the other ones, it doesn't say that Hashem showed it to him from fire. And by the coin, it says he showed him. He could have showed him fiery insects. It doesn't say that. He actually took the physical insect and he brought it before Moshe. God had a problem finding a coin. Was he have to show him a fiery coin? So his answer that he told me was that Hashem was showing a very, 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 very important idea. That the coin that you're giving for tzedakah is made out of fire. Now fire, the nature of fire is that even when you give it, it doesn't take away from what you have. Which is a very, 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 it's very good for my fundraiser tomorrow. Okay, all the coins that you're giving is fire. If it's fire, if you're giving, you don't lose a penny because it never loses. It's it is no such a thing that by giving tzedakah you lost something. Something because fire you can give it and you don't. The more you can light a thousand candles from one fire and it never is extinguished. That was the thought that he told me, which is pretty cool. Any case, back to what we are saying over here. What is the deeper meaning of the fire? And why is Hashem showing Moshe Rabbeinu fire? So it says that the reason why Moshe Rabbeinu had a hard time, what was he confused about, was that the Jewish people had blemished their soul at a very, very core place after the, giving, after the making of the golden calf. After they witnessed the, the revelation at Sinai, to go ahead and serve idols, that was really, really, really bad. And they, they caused a deep, 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 deep wound, if you can say, in their soul. Now the soul is very, very, very hyper-spiritual. It's, it's, it's beyond spiritual. It's godly. Now, a, a, a coin is physical. Within the physical of the world, coins, money, is what creates and 
pulls a person into the most material state of existence. I mean, everything bad about the material world that people think about the material world is highlighted in money. Because what money does is it creates within a person that sense of power, that sense of independence. We're obsessed with money. People idolize money. So money is a very... So in a sense, it's like a very, very, very coarse, non-spiritual thing. And so how can we take, in order to fix a blemish at the deepest core of our spiritual selves, how can it be fixed by something so coarse as a coin? So in order to answer Moshe Rabbeinu's question, that was Moshe's question, Hashem showed him a fiery coin. And it says not just that Hashem showed him a fiery coin, it says that Hashem took the fiery coin out from beneath the throne of glory. That means we're talking about not regular fire. It wasn't Stam, Hashem got a fire. This is divine fire. Ki Hashem Hashem your God is a fiery being. And Hashem took that fiery coin and He was showing him. And what did Hashem say? What did Hashem say? Hashem said, yitnu. This is what they should give. It's interesting, Hashem didn't say, yitnu. What does yitnu mean? Like this. I'm showing you the fiery coin. And you should give something that looks like this, made out of metal. Your coin. Stick your hand in your pocket. Get out a coin and give it. Make sure it looks like this. No, that's not what happened. Hashem was saying, you see this fiery coin? This is what you should give. But what do you mean? They didn't give fiery coins. They gave silver coins. And the answer is, when they did a mitzvah with that silver coin, the silver coin is the same fiery coin that's under the Kisya Kavit. It looks like silver. It's not silver. It's fire. Who's fire? It's God. Hold it. The material object that five minutes ago was so physical is now the fire that's under the Kisya Kavit, which means it's God. You just now took physicality and turned it into... It turned it into what? The material that God sits on, so to speak. It's, 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 it's a locus, it's divine, it's godly. Hold it. And that's much more. That's much more than we usually think. Usually think that when you're doing a mitzvah, you're drawing down some kind of a spiritual energy. Ultimately, it, 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 it originates in God onto a physical object. But here, there, here the, the, the Torah is saying, and God is saying to Moshe, much deeper than that. It's not some kind of the holiness that's on it. You can't see. No, 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 no. The coin, which was until now a physical object, is now not a physical object. It is. It's two, no, no, no. It's simultaneously. You say, what do you mean? So I'm not seeing it now. I'm an illusion. The coin is not. What do you mean? The coin is fire. No, no, no. It's a physical object. It is a metal coin, a silver coin. And at the same time, we don't see it. At the same time, it is the fire under the Kisya Kavit. The most unbelievable thing. How does that happen? The holy of the holiest is now one with the mundane of the mundane. And they're perfectly one. How can that happen? Didn't God set up a system where the spiritual worlds are spiritual and the earthy world is earthy? And there is a disconnect. Of course, everything physical has a spiritual source. Now, we're not talking about that. Spiritual source, I understand. But the source is up there, and the physicality is down here. The beauty of what God was showing Moshe is that the two merged. 
the spiritual source under the Kisei HaKavit, which is a literally divine, literally one with Hashem, has now, is now the reality of that physical coin. Now these two things should become one. The only one who can do that is God's Hashem Himself, Hashem's essence, that transcends all rules and regulations. Even the very rules that He Himself set. So how is this so, what's so deep over here? What is so great? Before we spoke that Parshas Tetzaveh is revealing the essence of God. But how is it revealing the essence of God? In that our souls are connected to Him all the time. Now we're taking it a step deeper, much deeper. We're revealing the essence of God not inside our souls. We're revealing the essence of Hashem in something that's in the physical world itself. We're taking physical... See, it's one thing to say, okay, you're a Jew. And because you're a Jew, you're an Hashemah. So even though you might be far, even though you might be ignorant, even though you might be in a very dark place, Hashem is always connected to you. Okay, that's in my neshama, that's in my Jewish soul. But here we're talking about the concrete physical world. And in the physical world, the essence of God should be revealed. No, that's the home. That's the highest level of home for Hashem. Because it's not just inside of us, it's inside the actual physical world around us that Gashmias and Elokus, Hashem and the material, merge together in Pashas Kisisa. And that elevates us. It elevates our head. It elevates the Jewish people that we could accomplish something so unbelievable, something completely incomprehensible. That's the Chiddush of Kisisa. Then what, what's the novelty then in the last two parshiyos, which we're going to conclude with? The great thing of Parshas Vayakel is, the novelty of Vayakel is, Moshe Rabbeinu gathers the Jewish people, and he tells them, what does Moshe tell them in Parshas Vayakel? He gathers them and he instructs them on actually doing it. You see, till now, it's all commandments of God of how to do it. Hashem is commanding Moshe, and eventually it's going to be told to the Jewish people, but it's all a theoretical, beautiful, um, idealistic idea. Now all of that has to be turned into, into actuality. And Parshas Vayakal teaches us a very important idea. And that is Hamaisa Hua Ikar. All this inspiration, all these powerful ideas, all these great thoughts about how it is that we can, that we can yeah, but it ain't going to happen until you'll do it. And how do you do it? You, you do it on Monday. You do it on Tuesday. You do it on, on Thursday. You do it in the winter. You do it in the summer. You do it when you're young. You do it when you're middle age. You do it when you're old. You do it when you're tired. You do it when you're... You do it all the time. But you have to do it. You have to actually do it. How, how do you do this? Every day. In the, in the constant activities of your day. Find a mitzvah and do it. Take another piece of this world and make it godly. Connect. Connect all the time. Everywhere. But it has to be done. It, it's not only in the Chumash. It's in real life. In everyday life. And that's in Vayakel. But Vayakel has another theme. Number one, it, it, it emphasizes it's not enough to be inspired by the idea. It actually has to happen. In Parshish Vayakel it says the Jewish people ran home and they came and they came running and they brought all their stuff. But there's another deer in Vayakel. And that is the sense that as awesome and wonderful that all of this is, you can't make a home for God unless we realize that we're all playing a role in it. 
and you can't just do it yourself. We gotta do it as a community. We have to do it all together. And we have to recognize and understand and acknowledge that the parts that I can do, only I can do, but the parts that you can do, only you can do. And you, what you're doing might be so different than what I'm doing. And that does not in any way make your work any less valuable than mine. Doesn't make mine more valuable than yours and you're more valuable than mine. All the work of all the Jewish people need to be done. Some people need to study in yeshiva all day. Others people need to sit and pray for hours and fast and be in great trend. And there are other people that have to um, be business people and support the institutions that are doing good things. And as some people, everybody is involved in doing this work. This is a labor that involves, and that's what the idea of vayakel. Vayakel means gathering all the people together, everybody. And the holiness of the Mishkan only came when all the parts of the Mishkan were gathered together and it was constructed, all the pieces, we put it all together, we unify, we have it all together, then we have a Mishkan. It's interesting. You see an interesting thing that we're seeing today's days. We are connected to each other in ways that we were never connected before. Jews were isolated communities for thousands of years. Jews who lived in Morocco were Moroccan Jews. And Jews who lived in Poland were Polish Jews. A Jew, a Jew from Poland saw a Jew from Morocco. He thinks he's looking at an alien from outer space. I mean, the, the, the practices, the minhagim, the conduct, the this and that. He doesn't eat gefilte fish. Can you believe that? It, 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 it couldn't, he couldn't have that. Shabbos without gefilte fish? It doesn't make any sense. The Moroccan Jew doesn't have any understanding in the, in the Polish Jew. It just doesn't go. Besides gefilte fish, it's in many other things. There was no interaction. People were in a different world. And in the last 70 years, you see the gathering of exiles. All Jews are mixing together in one shul. There's so many different people, different traditions, different people, different groups coming together. And today, through our, through our great, amazing technology, which could be used, and it's created only for the good that we can do, we have abilities, enlightening speed, to connect to millions of Jews across the world. Yesterday, I want to share with you something really, really amazing. Yesterday, we had a halal in the shul. We dive in Rosh Chodesh. And um, because Mashiach is coming, we have to get ready for the Beis HaMikdash, in which in the Beis HaMikdash, prayer is not prayer just plain. Prayer is accompanied by music and song. So once a month, we started this about a year and a half ago. We have guitars here. It's during the weekdays. And they play halal with music. It's, it's on a different level. So yesterday, because it's a Sunday, we had a hundred people in this room about. It was packed. I never had such a crowd for a Rosh Chodesh halal. And we have a fellow who comes over here. He has a blog called Accidental Talmudist. He has 837, I think, followers on Facebook. 837,000 followers in Facebook. And he, it's a whole amazing story about him. Anyways, he came over here yesterday and he filmed live, Facebook Live, what was going on. While it was happening, 20,000 people across the world were with us in this room watching and there's comments from across the world, from India, from, 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 from what is it, um, 
Nigeria, I mean, I mean I, everywhere, everywhere across the from Germany, from and people saying, oh, "Why don't we have a shoe like that in our place? Where, where is this place?" Where, I mean, from across the world. And now, twenty-four hours later, seventy thousand people watched this inspiration happened over here. The ability to connect across the world with Jews. Today there is one mitzvah, a person is ill, a person has an operation, in 10 minutes, in 10 minutes, you have 300,000 Jews saying Tehillim for him across the world. Because everybody through their WhatsApp connections and places, instantly, Facebook, bang, we Jews are so, con- we're able to have such vayakil. Why? Because at this, it's the time of vayakil. It's the time for us all to connect. And to realize that we're all one entity and we're all doing this together and we can't complete the job unless all of us are unified in this, in this operation. Finally, we come to Parshas Pekudeh. And Parshas Pekudeh means that we completed the job. Pekudeh is the final completion of the job. The Mishkan is standing and God comes down to the Mishkan. Meaning to say, and this is a very, very important idea, some of us are so excited about our accomplishments. I started a school. I started a this. I made a yeshiva. I built a mikvah. I got so many Jews to do so and so. I have such an amazing operation. I'm doing this. I feel so sad. Everything is great. Wonderful. But guess what? As long as Hashem is not descended with his, into this mishkan, the work isn't done. So even, even, if, even if everything, even with all the accomplishments of all the wonderful work that everybody's doing across the world, but until the cloud is not on top of the third base on Mikdash, the work is not done. It's not completed until Mashiach is here. The third base on Mikdash is standing and you will get online to say hello to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Rachel, Rivka, Leah, uh, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. Until we don't have all the tzaddikim resurrected, until we don't have all the Jewish people from all of time, and the third base of Migdash, and Hashem permanently living in this world, the world is not over. Even if we have already Vayakel, and everything is done, we are still praying for the actual Yiratzayin, Shetishra Shechina, that the Shechina should come down and the work and the labor of your hands. May we merit that we should um, this year zip through from Teruma to Pekude and we should already merit the powerful revelation of that Kishachan Olav Ha'onon that Avanan Hashem Mishkan and the Nan, the cloud of God is on the Mishkan and this time the Mishkan is not a little tiny little infrastructure in in the middle of a desert. The Mishkan is the entire globe. Our entire globe has become a home in which God's light radiates from every nook and cranny, from every corner, from every human being, from every place. We see Hashem, we experience Hashem in His ultimate light and His ultimate glory. May we merit to see that.